Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, astute listeners of this program will have no doubt noticed by now that uh, this is not the voice of Ben. This is not the voice of Noel. This is, in fact, the voice of super producer Casey. I'm, uh, I'm filling in on uh, intro duties today. A little peek behind the curtain. We recorded this uh, Salvador Dali and uh, Walt Disney episode. Uh, it was about an hour long, and we decided, hey, let's make it a two-parter. And then we promptly forgot to record uh, the necessary intro outros to make that happen. So uh, to set the scene, it is December 23rd. It's the afternoon. I'm here in our uh, Atlanta studios and uh, <laughs> I'm editing and I realized, yeah, we don't have that piece. Ben and Noel are uh, spread across the globe, let's say. So uh, this feels like the scene in the movie where I'm up by myself in the cockpit and uh, Ben and Noel are like in a radio tower somewhere, and they're kind of trying to walk me through how to land this thing. So uh, we'll see if I can walk away from it. But I'm not going to say too much up top. We're just going to join the conversation already in progress. And uh, just to add an extra layer of convolutedness, if you are listening to these episodes in order, you will have already heard me do the outro for the first episode. So there's really not even a reason for me to be doing this. But, uh, you know, it just feels like tradition to say something at the top of the show. Uh, but we will now join uh, the conversation, the episode already in progress. So World War II ends. Disney gets some of his employees back. 
Uh, he and Dali make good on their promise and their bromance, and he begins working on this this short. And like you said, Noel, as soon as he started, he threw himself in relentlessly, holding nothing back from January 1946 for eight months. He was traveling back and forth from Pebble Beach to Burbank, California. He was writing outlines like a madman. He was trying to clarify his ideas. And he was like, what makes a story different when it's live action versus when it's a static painting? I want to work with uh, I want to work with everybody. We need to crowdsource this. He works closely with a guy named John Hench, right? H-E-N-C-H. Uh, on this collaboration. Again, a lot of this is coming from WaltDisney.org. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, we haven't really talked much about what his fee might have been. Um, <laughs> but again, this is a guy that was very much a maverick. He v- highly valued his his skills and his creativity and thought pretty highly of himself. He's very much an outspoken fan of Salvador Dali uh, when you read interviews with him. Um, he you know, would not stop short of saying he was a, a genius, essentially, right? He was one of those types. Um, so while we don't know exactly how much money he was getting paid, Disney at one point um, did say that he was quite expensive. Yeah, and it's you could see why, because he's aiming for photorealism. And again, imagine Disney most likely doesn't see this as just paying, quote-unquote, an animator. He is investing in animation as an art form and getting this world-famous artist to work with him on an animated short is could be a huge coup. So eventually, through these eight months in the studio, uh, Dali has made 22 paintings, 135 storyboards. The film is on track, and again, you know, at least in this case, you get what you pay for because he's expensive, but he's so prolific. He's working like mad. However... It's not all, you know, trumpets and angel farts and and, and harpsichords and stuff. There is a little bit of um, a little bit of creative difference that rears its head. There's an article in the L.A. Times from April 7th, 1946, wherein Dali describes this story as a magical exposition of life in the labyrinth of time. What does Disney describe it as? Yeah, Disney's a little more uh, Spartan with his language, a little less flowery. But honestly, that's the thing that's so interesting to me. Um, I'm going to give you the quote. But Disney as a person was very much like a product of its time. He felt like a businessman, you know, like very matter of fact, did not strike you as an out there creative, you know, genius. He very plain spoken, very no nonsense, just seemed like more like the kind of guy that would run like a car dealership rather than like the creative genius that we know he was. So he described this as a simple love story, boy meets girl. <laughs> so, right. Because yeah. he's thinking more about the business end too. Right? Exactly. And you and I understand that side of things. There's a really interesting uh, balance between what is something that is going to be creatively engaging and challenging versus what is something people are actually going to co-sign on and, and pay to see or yeah. even, you know, listen to for free as a free <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, while we're speaking of animation, it, it, it always reminds me, I think one excellent metaphor for any new endeavor uh, comes from animation. It's when our protagonist, whomever they may be, walks off a cliff and continues walking through the air just don't look down. You know what I mean? <laughs> just 
don't look down if you're doing something amazing. Well, yeah, it's the classic Wiley e. Coyote scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if that was the first one to do that. Probably not, but it huh. sure was the most iconic. Yeah, that's uh, the one that was the breakout. Yeah, scene. and that's that's a good metaphor for anything. Once you've got critical mass and momentum, just keep going. The moment you consider where you are and what you're actually doing, that's when you lose it. Yep. And here's when Disney loses Dali because astute listeners, you'll recall that we said eight months. He worked on this for eight months. Was he done in eight months? You may be asking yourselves, how did I never hear of this? We never heard of it because after eight months, Disney did the math and said, we cannot afford to keep paying this brilliant madman. We owe $4.3 million to the bank. Uh, I also think the packaged anthology films are maybe on the way out. And then maybe their egos were uh, chafing one another a little bit because according to animators like Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, neither of them were completely satisfied aesthetically with how the short was shaping up. And uh, you can read their account of that, those animators, Thomas and Johnston, in Disney Animation, The Illusion of Life. According to them, because of these reasons, the project was put on the back burner and they just didn't revisit it. So they had, I think, only 18 seconds of film footage. Gotta wonder. Uh, So we'll definitely chalk it up to too expensive, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Hemorrhaging money. Yeah. Um, the company itself is in debt, uh, having a hard time turning a profit. It was tough times in general just because of all the wartime stuff. Got that. I would argue Disney thought it was too weird. Dolly thought it wasn't weird enough. I could definitely see that. I think that's I think that's fair. And then Walt was also thinking about how to package this. He's like, this is too weird to sell on its own as a short film, right? Uh, but I also don't know how I can fit it in to the other other stuff I was making. Here's my question. Had, 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 had Walt Disney actually looked at any of Salvador Dali's art? I mean, he, he should have known what he was signing up for. I mean, this guy, he's, he's a very strange person with a pencil-thin, curly mustache um, who makes melting, psychedelic landscapes and weird giants that are like mountains with, like, teeth made of small, naked people and stuff. I mean, it was, it's not exactly, you know, accessible, shall we say, to an American mass theater-going audience, right? Yeah, by way of just an improvised comparison, it's fair to ask, is this similar to someone saying, I love this experimental polka player, and yeah, I make top 40 radio hits, but they're both music, let's work together. And then, you know, coming back a few months later and saying, wow, there's a... There's a lot of weird accordion in this. I don't, I, I, I don't know how this is going to hit Billboard, you know? Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. 
the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. So like you said, they basically canceled the project. I've seen it referred to as an indefinite hiatus, which sure. is essentially, you know, they still own the materials. They paid for it, um, but they're not going to make it anymore. So Dolly goes his own way. But apparently Walt and, and Salvador remained very good friends. And this wasn't exactly them, you know, butting heads in a friendship torpedoing kind of way. Right. I mean, they definitely kept being pals. Um, but uh, 37 years after Disney, uh, Walt Disney passed, and 13 years after Salvador Dali's death, there became kind of a renewed interest in some of those materials that were archived uh, in, in the Disney, by the Disney Family Trust. Yeah, that's the thing. This is cool because it's, I wouldn't say it's a cover-up, but it's a neat story of discovery because nobody really knew about this project. It was It was a secret until... You know, as you said, like at least 50 years later, in 1999, Roy E. Disney, the nephew of Walt Disney, is working on Fantasia 2000, which I'm sure we all remember. And then he accidentally just stumbles across it. And The Atlantic has a, a pretty great article about this. But just imagine you're, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to revivify if I'm just making up words, the the Fantasia experience for a new millennium. And then all of a sudden you run up against something that looks like nothing else in these shorts. It's photorealistic. It's, it's hyper-experimental. And they decide that they are going to resume working on this collaboration in 1999 after, no, as you said, almost 40 years after Disney's death, 13 years after Dolly's. And it's so cool. You might remember we dropped a name rather in passing, a guy by the name of John Hinch, who is a legend in and of himself. Disney, the Disney Walt Disney Company is comprised of so many moving parts and incredible artists that go on to contribute to the vision and the uh, aesthetics of a lot of these films. Just for example, there's an artist by the name of Ivan Earl who uh, Disney brought on to create the look of uh, Sleeping Beauty, which is very much of a, a departure from uh, the rest of, of the Disney canon up to that point. Um, this guy that we're talking about, Hinch, was a little bit more of a utility player, but he was the best. He was absolutely a, a trusted confidant of Walt Disney, um, and he was an artist, an art supervisor, um, worked on animation effects, special effects, art direction, storyboarding, um, from everything from Fantasia, Dumbo, some of those package films like The Three Caballeros, uh, Make Mine Music, Fun and Fancy Free, uh, one of my favorites, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, um, worked on Cinderella, which was when they got out of those package films and got more back into the narrative. Alice in Wonderland, he was art supervisor on that, and Peter Pan, and he was the one who was working hand-in-hand with Dali while he was developing this thing. Mm -hmm. um, and they brought him back. 
Yeah, he worked for Disney for nearly 65 years. Only a portion of that was working with Dali. But when Roy finds this hidden gem, he gets Hinch back on the team. Hinch is 90 years old. And you know what he says? Yeah, I'll do it. In fact, he ends up being credited as the film's co-author. So Roy Disney... Disney, the nephew, is is in love with this idea. He puts together a secret crew of animators. He gets a director from France. Casey, you can't see it, but I, I don't know why. I just pointed like you were going to co-sign that. And uh, he says, okay, uh, the budget is $1.5 Keep it a secret. Let's let's figure out how to, how to make this happen. And so, by God, they did it. They did do it. $1.5 million seems like a lot for a short doesn't it? It does, but, but also it's Disney and it's, it's Disney, yeah. yeah. And not to mention, they had to reconstruct this, like, from the original, uh, you know, like, storyboards and source material. And if I'm not mistaken, they had to actually use some uh, pretty interesting 3D computer technology to keep as close to the original vision as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so 57 years after this Disney-Dolly uh, collab had been birthed from from these uh, genius brains, um, Destino saw the light of day. Yeah, it was released on June 2nd, 2003. At uh, It was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. It got honored in multiple exhibitions. Also, there's some amusing math here. So it's $1.5 million, That's the budget to create this thing. And uh, it's probably – it's about six-ish minutes long. It's worth a watch. Uh, it, it's beautiful. If you do the math, that means that it costs – Two hundred sixty-six thousand six hundred sixty-six dollars and sixty-seven cents per minute. That's wild, Casey. Do you know much about animation budgets? I do not. Uh, although uh, you know the hand-drawn stuff, I know is super expensive. Very, it takes very years expensive. To do, so. This wouldn't have been hand-drawn though. This is this. If you look at it, it really does have the uh, vibe of a sort of a CG kind of like Pixar kind of thing, but not. It's different. It's it sort of looks like computer rendered two D animation. Yeah, it's very smooth. It's really smooth. It employs some really cool kind of shutter effects where there's like missing frames and they'll be kind of a blur sometimes. But it really does look like Dali's body of work come to life. It's really, really cool and striking. I recommend everyone check it out. Um, You can actually get a glimpse of it on YouTube. Um, Just search for Walt Disney's and Salvador Dali's Destino. There's actually a 1080p uh, version of it on there for you to check out. I can't believe the Walt Disney Company has not stricken that uh, from the internet. I think maybe Roy just said it's a labor of love. So without too many spoilers, we can tell you what Destino is about still Please, folks, I urge you to check it out. It's more than worth the six minutes. Might be the best six-ish minutes of your day, you know, depending on how your day's going. So in the film, it turns out that both Disney and Dali's descriptions are somewhat accurate. They were just coming at the story from different angles. It's the story of Kronos, the personification of time. In the story, Kronos falls in love with a mortal and they float across landscapes uh, painted by Dali. The, this is a wordless animation, right? And uh, it's, it, it's following, as you said, Noel, it's following the beats of the song, you know, as much as the visual story. And 
I think Disney was simplifying it a little when he said boy meets girl. It's a simple love story. Um, but but they're both right. Uh, Dahlia is mortal, just a woman, and Kronos is, you know, Kronos is like a Dr. Manhattan figure, basically. Should also note, uh, this may be familiar to fans of mythology. Yes, uh, there is Kronos, uh, K-R-O-N-O-S, who is the uh, titan who does swallow his offspring. But this sticks to the love story between him and Dahlia. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's right. So there's Kronos with a K. You also see it as Kronos mm-hmm. with a U-S or Kronos with a C. So yeah, interesting. That's, so this must be that, I believe Saturn is the Roman equivalent. Is that the, is that the deal? Like there's there's usually a yes. Roman and yeah, Greek yeah. version in there. There's usually similarities. The Greeks came first. The Romans did the gritty reboot. That's right. They yeah. are grittier. It's much more like the the grim fairy tale versions <laughs> of the Disney movies. So a funny reverse of that. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is just such an inspiring story. It gives me one of the three emotions I experience a year. So Ben, I don't know. You've been experiencing a little more emotion lately. I feel like you might be over your quota. Oh, man. It is the end of the year, though. It's sort of like when you got to use those flexible health spending account dollars for yeah. the end of the year. Use it or lose we, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can, you can, you can feel, feel some feels, Ben. Oh, thanks, man. So, uh, so it is true that Disney and Dolly remained friends throughout their lives. Disney had Dolly's paintings all over his home in uh, Palm Springs. Uh, He had Dolly and his wife over during their vacation uh, to California in 1951. And then later, Disney and his spouse went to Spain to visit Dali in 1957. Like, these guys kicked it. They were actual friends. Totally. You know, Ben, a lot of Dali paintings IRL are quite small. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't realize that. I went to the my, – my, I think my favorite museum in the country is the uh, um, Art Institute in Chicago. Uh-huh. Um, and they have that most – probably most famous Dali image of the melting clocks. And it is like the size of like a 13-inch laptop screen or like an iPad or something like that. It's very, very small. A lot of people feel that way when they see things like the scream. You know what I mean? 
I, I remember being in Chicago and seeing the persistence of memory. Um, that's the melty clock painting. Yep. And, uh, and thinking, wow, it's smaller than I thought, but it looks so vivid. It's surprising that it was made in 1931 and yeah. it's still Pop. The layering of color is really interesting. That's the kind of thing you don't see in a print as much as you do when you really take a look at it in a gallery. So if anyone's in Chicago, highly recommend checking out the Art Institute. It's a really cool building, and they also have an entire gallery of miniatures. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's a whole room of just these, like, scale models of various periods in history, and they're, like, you you can, like— it's just they have all this depth and there's things outside the window and they're just like some of the coolest things I've ever seen. Well, Wes Anderson is a big fan. There's like a little plaque of him describing how it inspired him to make no fantastic way. Mr. Fox and all that stuff. Not Wes Anderson. Well, he is fan a fan of miniatures. Of, uh, <laughs> miniatures, yeah. He likes to control the environment, I guess. So it makes sense. So we have a special we have a we have a special thing to to sew up here uh, on on today's episode, which is as you know, we're we're film buffs and we often defer to our pal Casey who has an encyclopedic knowledge of these sorts of tales. And Casey, uh, a little bit earlier off mic, you were you were telling us that there's, there's something more to the story of Dolly and Disney? Not to Dolly and Disney, okay. but just that uh, Dolly had already kind of made his stamp in the world of cinema prior to, you know, meeting or, or working with Disney. He had worked on some early short films of uh, Louis Benuel, uh, Un Chien Andalou, which is an Andalusian dog, and then L'Age d'Or, which is the Golden Age. Um, Un Chien Andalou, if you're a fan of the Pixies, they reference it in their song Debaser. There's a very slicing up eyeballs. Exactly. A very famous, very uncomfortable to look at shot of an eyeball being sliced up, which is I believe was actually a cow's eyeball that they used for the for the movie. It really gives you the willies, I'll tell yeah. you that. And then also um Dolly designed a, a dream sequence uh, for Alfred Hitchcock in the movie Spellbound, which is super, super cool. So yeah, he, you know, the the thing with Disney didn't come fully to fruition, but he did have, uh, you know, he still left his mark on cinema as well. What year would that uh, Hitchcock film have been? 45. Yeah, so that was right, He would, that was why he was in town, I believe, right, right, right. Uh, when he and, uh, and uh, uh, Disney met at that dinner party. Yeah. Pretty cool. Casey on the case. And this, I believe, draws our tale to a close. Perhaps a poor choice of words on my part, but not as poor as the terrible thing I am about to say. We open the episode with uh, me finally getting a chance to use a pun I wrote that I have absolutely no use for. Imagine combining the uh, <laughs> one of the most iconic voices in country music with one of the most uh, amazing mustaches in the world of surrealism, and uh, you end up with Salvador Dali Parton. All right, I'm, I'm, I'll show myself. Oh, yeah. Right. No, you can stay, Ben. No, you should stay. Yeah, that was worthy. That was worthy. Everyone. The, there's a band. Uh, I've never heard them, but my friend has their T-shirt, and they're called Guantanamo Baywatch. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> It's up there with, I was trying to, one of our friends does some uh, work with uh, PBR, and I had uh, been hanging out with them, and I was trying to pitch them on making some art that was Pabst Blue Gibbon. Uh, negotiations are ongoing. Yeah. You know, you know what these are, Ben? Uh, or at least Salvador Dali Parton and uh, Guantanamo Baywatch. They're before and after Wheel of Fortune clues. What? Before and after. It was a Wheel of Fortune category where it's always like uh, a thing and then another thing that becomes the second thing. Before and after, right? These are more interesting than the Wheel of Fortune ones. Though. I agree, but yeah. it's, a, it's a form. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I got to say, I, I really want to be positive and hopefully I'm wrong about this. I haven't watched much Wheel of Fortune because I don't trust Pat Sajak. 
What do you have against Pat? Nothing. I, I just don't trust him. He did, he is kind of an ageless vampire. It's weird. You know, I have grudging respect for Alex Trebek, who seems like a really nice guy. Uh, but one thing that turned me off about Alex Trebek when I was a kid was I thought, you don't know those answers. You have cards. Don't say don't say the Rubicon like you knew it was the Rubicon. Yeah, and certainly don't be <laughs> smug when someone yeah, gets an right. answer wrong. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Alex Trebek? You're reading off a card. Oh, but he's a, you know he's he's a nice guy. He is uh, he's a cancer survivor. Yeah, right. Pat Sajak apparently had uh, some health issues recently, a bit of oh, a health no. scare, and it caused him to not be able to shoot for a week. And Vanna White did both jobs. She turned over the letters and hosted the show. Nice. Yeah. Good on you, Vanna. Good on Vanna. She's a bit of an ageless vampire herself. Yeah, I would say thanks to all the game show communities for uh, teaching us new and unexpected things, even if I have some trust issues. Uh, thanks, of course, as always, to Casey Pegram, our super producer. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this very theme that you're hearing tickling your ear holes right now. Uh, thanks to Christopher Hasiotis, who I had a lovely little hang with uh, just last night in New York. Um, and we happened to be there at the same time, and we got to catch up, and he... Just loves being on the show, Ben, and we need to have him back. Yeah, yeah. I was I was supposed to be in New York, uh, but I had to change my schedule, so I, w- I would have been hanging too. We would have been fun. Sad that we couldn't make it, but yeah. Christopher Asiotis, thanks also to Gabe Luzier. Thanks to Eve's Jeffco. Thanks to Dali. Thanks to Disney. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, you know what? No. Thanks to you, because uh, my compatriot here just hopped an early plane to fly in to record this episode. Boy, are my arms tired. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.